Well, good morning, Warehouse Church. And I want to welcome those of you that are worshiping with us online, too, and welcome to our first Sunday of 2024. It's good to worship with you today. If I'm honest with you, um, I'm standing here. Uh... A little bit of a emotional wreck. <laughs> um, for those of you that are guests with us, we don't usually start this way. Um, this is uh, our last Sunday here at uh, Warehouse Church, and we've had kind of a crazy week, and we had to say goodbye to our uh, had to say goodbye to our dog this week. We have to uh, close a chapter in our lives, so I'm going to try and get through this today. And, uh, and we're going to talk about Jonah, but as Christina was talking, just reminded me that God never leaves us or forsakes us, and, uh, and those were words that I needed to hear today. Maybe those are words that you needed to hear today, that God never leaves us, He never forsakes us in the midst of whatever is going on in our lives, that, um, that he's always constant, he's always with us, and that's good news. That's good news for you, that's good news for me. And so I'm, I'm super excited that you're here today. I'm so glad that we get to start off the New Year's together and, uh, and worshiping together and, and, and beginning this new teaching series that um, Brenton will continue on uh, and, uh, and on Jonah. And so I get to kick us off, and Brenton's going to bring you home uh, through this series on Jonah. And, uh, and Jonah... Uh, if, you, if you're not aware, it's a book in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's a, it is a part of a collection of books called the Minor Prophets. And, uh, and it's not called Minor Prophet because it's less significant uh, than the Major Prophets. It's only called a Minor Prophets because of its size uh, in comparison to other prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, which are really big books, and then Jonah is like really small. And uh, now Jonah, if you're not familiar with him, he, he might be a minor prophet, but his story, the story of Jonah has what I would consider to be a gigantic or a really big or major message uh, for you and for me. And, uh, and many of us can connect with Jonah because Jonah was running from God. And, and many of you have experienced that in your life. Maybe you're here right now and you're experiencing it. Maybe someone dragged you to church today and said, I just want you to go. And maybe you are in the midst of running from God. And so we can connect with the story of Jonah. I think it has so much to say, but there's more to it than what we might imagine. And Herman Melville, uh, who wrote Moby Dick, and he said this about the book of Jonah. He said, shipmates. This book, containing only four chapters, four yarns, is one of the smallest strands in the mighty cable of the scriptures, yet what depths, he says, what depths of the soul does Jonah's deep sea line sound? What pregnant lesson to us is this prophet? What a noble thing is this, that canticle uh, uh, in the fish's belly, how billow-like and boisterously grand and I love that because Jonah is famous, right? Like we all know the story or many of us know the story of Jonah being famous for his voyage inside this massive seaborne creature. Uh, some say a whale, others say a giant fish. But, but I think that as the more that we dig in 
to Jonah's story, I think the more that we will just see how fishy it is that we just reduce it to Jonah and the whale. But there's so much more to this story. And it's far more billow-like and it's far more boisterously grand than we could ever imagine. There's heroin surprises, there's spiritual humor, there's irony, there's God's heart for the city found in, in, this, in, the, in, in the book, in the story of Jonah, in this timeless, relatable story about a reluctant prophet who did not want to go, right, where God was calling him to go. And today we're going to see the dramatic introduction to the story. We're just going to scratch the surface and see the beginning of the story as Jonah is on the run. He's on the run. He's on the lamb. And if you have your Bibles, I would just invite you or your Bible app, the Version Bible app, just go ahead and open it up to Jonah chapter 1. Uh, we're going to hang out in verses 1 through 16 together, and you can follow along. And I just want to catch you up on the story. Uh, and, and our story begins with Jonah, and he's running away. Right away, we see that he's running away from the Lord after he was told by God to go to what the, the scripture says, the great city of Nineveh. And he's to go there to preach against its wicked ways. And so Jonah, though, uh, doesn't head towards Nineveh. God calls him on this mission, and Jonah refuses to go, and he heads in the opposite direction to a place called Joppa, where he gets on a boat, and he's headed to another place called Tarshish. And while sailing, uh, as we read the story, while he's on the boat and he's heading to Tarshish, uh, the Lord, it says, God sends a violent storm that tosses this ship about. And it's about to break and the sailors are freaking out and they're crying out to any God that will listen to save them. And they begin throwing cargo overboard to make the ship lighter and, and they're doing whatever they can. And all the while, we see that Jonah is below deck, and he's in this deep sleep. Ever heard that before? Jonah is below deck, and he's in this deep sleep while the ship is going down, and the captain, frustrated, wakes him up and says, Jonah, get up. Get up and call on your God. Maybe your God will be the one that saves us. And meanwhile, the sailors are, are, are above the deck, and, uh, and, and they are, they're freaking out. And they decide to flip coins to see who is going to be responsible for this, right? The Bible calls it casting lots. And they decide uh, the lot falls on Jonah. And so they, they go below and they corner Jonah and they begin to question him. And they're like, Jonah, why is this happening? Like, we cast lots. We decided it's your fault. You're the reason why we're going down. And what, what's going on? What kind of work do you do? Like, where do you, where you come from? Where, where, where are you at? What are you doing? And Jonah tells them this. The scripture says, he tells them, well, I'm a Hebrew and that, that I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. That He tells them, I worship the, the one who made the sea and the dry land. And the, the sailors, it says that they're terrified, realizing that Jonah is running away from God. That whatever happened, they discern that Jonah is running away from God, and that's why the ship is sinking. And meanwhile, as they're having this conversation, guess what happened in above deck? It says that the seas are getting rougher and rougher, like it's getting ugly out there. And they ask him, what do we have to do to calm the sea down? They're like, Jonah, what is it that we have to do 
to make this go away. And Jonah tells them, just throw me overboard. They're like, just throw me overboard because really it's all my fault. Just go ahead. I'm running from God. Take me, throw me overboard. Everything will be okay. But the sailors, they had this sense of compassion. And the Bible says that that they refused to throw him overboard and they try their best to do whatever they can to make it back to shore. But the ocean only gets more and more and more violent. And so here's what the sailors do. They cry out to God and they say these words. The Bible says they say, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then the next thing we see is that they're throwing Jonah overboard. And the Bible says that immediately the raging sea grew calm. And at that moment, and I love this part of the story, at that moment, as soon as the seas grow calm, it says that the sailors fell down and they worshiped the Lord and they vowed their lives to him. And I love this because I think, man, this is a pretty exciting story. Like we haven't even gotten to the whale part yet. We haven't even gotten to that. And it's a pretty exciting thing going on. Like there's this storm and there's this, this moment. There's this moment of crisis. Do we throw them overboard? Do we not? And, 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 and it's so exciting. And, and I think that as we look at this story, we can think of it really in three parts. There's the escape, right? There's the escape, Jonah running from the Lord. Then there's the storm that's obvious. And then there's the calm. And I just want us to look at these three parts real quick this morning and see how they connect to us and our story. And first, there was this, the escape. And so Jonah, he was an 8th century Israelite prophet. And a prophet was simply a man that worked for God. Like God would give the prophet a message and send him to a place to tell the message. And usually the message was not good news. Like it was oftentimes to be a prophet, man, it was hard. It was a hard life. And so Jonah is this prophet And in verse 2, we see right away that it says that in in chapter 1, verse 2, it says that God came to him and said, go, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And so Nineveh was one of the largest great cities in the ancient world. Nineveh is located like uh, 600 miles northeast of Israel in what we would call present day Iraq. So it's somewhere in the middle of Iraq. And many things make a city great, right? Like we think about great cities, there's lots of things like like, uh, education will make a city great, Uh, ingenuity will make a city great, industry makes a city great, diversity makes a city great. And so Nineveh was one of these great cities. But it's also true that things like injustice and corruption and crime are also magnified often in great cities. You think of big cities around uh, the United States, and oftentimes, what do we hear about those great cities? We hear about the crime, right? We hear about the injustice that's going on, and Nineveh was no different. It had great things, but it also had its issues. And it's so interesting here that God begins, God begins by referring, when he tells Jonah to go, he refers to Nineveh as a great city. And why is that so interesting? Well, it's interesting because Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria was the arch enemy of Israel. So like Assyria was all against God and what God was trying to do, and God calls Nineveh a great city. 
And yet he doesn't, also, he doesn't gloss over the evil and the injustice that's going on in the city as well. And it's obvious, it becomes very obvious if you know this, that God is concerned for Nineveh. He's concerned for the people of Nineveh. And I think it's safe that God is also concerned for the city of Prestonsburg. Like just as God was concerned for Nineveh, he's also concerned for our city. And we have a great city filled with so many wonderful things, and yet we also live in a place that is filled with addiction and is filled with injustice. And the book of Jonah is such a valuable resource, I believe, for you and for me as we strive to see transformation happen in our city, right? The mission of Warehouse Church is to see lives transformed through a relationship with Jesus, And so as we go through this book, I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to ask yourself the question, what does it mean for Warehouse Church? And what does it mean for me personally to be God's instrument, taking the word humbly into the city of Prestonsburg, the city of Pikeville, the city of Paintsville and beyond, that I, what would it, to ask yourself that I might be a means to bringing transformation into the broken parts of my city. Like, I really want to invite you to ask that question. What would it look like for me to be used by God to transform my city? I think it's such an important question as we journey through this book. So what did Jonah, what did Jonah think about God's call on his life? What did Jonah think about God's call to go to the great city of Nineveh? Well, he didn't much care about it, right? He didn't want anything to do with it at all. Verse 3 says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. Now remember, Nineveh is like 600 miles northeast of Israel and Tarshish is about as far as you could possibly get away from the city of Nineveh. Jonah runs to Joppa, he pays a fare, he gets on a boat, and he travels all the way across the Mediterranean Sea towards what we would know today as modern Spain. So he is getting as far away as possible because in the ancient's mind, in the mind of the folks that were happening today, Spain, where Spain is today, that was like the end of the earth, like there was nothing beyond. That was it. And Jonah is running And he's running fast, and he's running furious, and he's running away. And and it reminds me of, of, I don't know if you remember these, the Southwest Airlines, they used to have these promotions. They still call them the same thing, but it's called, Do You Want to Get Away? And they used to have these ads on TV that would say, Do You Want to Get Away? And and I remember one of them was this couple, right? And uh, this this guy drives up in this really slick Porsche, and and, uh, and his date's with him, and it's like you, you get the idea that they're on a first date, and, and you know, it's that awkward moment at the end of the date, what do I do? And, and he, he's not a gentleman, by the way. He doesn't get out and walk her to the door, but she, uh, she leans over, and she gives him a kiss and says, well, I guess I'll, I'll go now, and she gets out of the car, and she leaves, and I guess he's got like this uncomfortable look on his face, and I guess he's been holding in some gas the whole night, right, of the date. And so he, uh, he lets it fly at the, you know, as she leaves the car, he kind of lets it go. And, uh, and they actually like 
there's sound effects in the commercial, and, and, uh, and he, he's got like this smile on his face for just a second, but then he looks down in the seat, and she left her phone. And then instantly, she opens the door to get the phone, and there's this look of horror both on her face and on his face, right? Like, it's just funny, and then the next thing that it says is, you want to get away, Right? <laughs> And, uh, and so we've all had these incredibly embarrassing and disappointing and maybe even shameful things happen in our lives. And maybe, maybe we felt like we've been asked to do something, uh, 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 even by God, that we're not really excited about or keen to do, and we just want to get away. Like, we just want to, we want to avoid it. We just want to crawl into bed. We just want to, we just want to run away. We want to get away from God's call on our life. We want to get away from the difficulties. We want to get away from the embarrassment. Or maybe we just want to get away from the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And we can all relate to that, this idea of wanting to get away. And Jonah, he just wanted to get away, but why? Why was Jonah wanting to get away? It's actually, it's not very clear in chapter one. Like we don't have a, a good reason. It kind of leaves us in suspense. And, uh, but I think it's helpful. Like I think it's good that we don't know right away why Jonah is running from God because oftentimes we're like that. Like oftentimes we can't wrap our minds around why we have this urge or this want or this desire to run and hide. Like, oftentimes we can't put a name to it. We're just like, I just want to get away. And we need friends, right? Like, we need friends to help us pull it out, to tweeze it out or tease it out of us. Why it is that we feel like we want to run? We need community. That's why small groups are such a big deal. We need people around us that, that are, are faithful and, and believing and, 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 and share our faith to help us tease out the reasons why maybe we want to run away. Or maybe sometimes we even need mental health professionals, right? Right? to help us think through these kinds of things. And, and sometimes we just need Jackson Brown, right? Like sometimes we just, we, we need him. Remember his song, Running on Empty. And in his song, he said this, he said, everyone I know and everywhere I go, people need some reason to believe. Running on, running on empty. Running on, running blind. Running on, running into the sun. But I'm running behind. And I think about today, and I think about our culture, and I, look, I think about my friends, and even myself, and the things that I'm experiencing, I think that there's this more of an impulse today for people to run or hide or want to escape from life. And invariably, that makes us feel like we're running blind, like not knowing where the right direction is. And it, and it makes us feel behind and maybe even looking for a reason to believe. I mean, just think about it. There are some clues here as to why Jonah was trying to escape. For instance, in 2 Kings, we learn that Jonah was a prophet during the reign of the Israelite king Jeroboam II. And while other prophets like Hosea uh, spoke out against the injustices of Jeroboam II because he was very aggressive in his military actions. He was ruthless, and he was always trying to extend the reach of Israel. But Jonah was an advocate for Jeroboam. He was a supporter. He was for what Jeroboam was doing. And, and if you were an original reader of Jonah, if you were hearing the tale of Jonah, 
you would think of him not as someone who stood up against the power, but you would think of someone who made himself an instrument of the power. And they would have seen Jonah as an extremist. They would have seen him as extremely patriotic, politically inclined, and maybe even call him a nationalist. Like he was what the people of Israel despised in a lot of ways. And it would have been utterly shocking for those listening to the tale to think that God would send Jonah to Nineveh, the arch enemy of Israel. Like it would have been adding uh, dynamite to the equation. And even more, if you look back at the words in Jonah, you see that it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but Jonah ran away from what? He ran away from the Lord. Jonah is a prophet. He's a messenger of God. That's his job. And God sends him on a mission. And the text is very clear that Jonah wasn't running away from what God, what he was called to do. He's running away from God himself. Like Jonah's like, I'm running away from God. He makes that decision. And I think that that's at the root of many of us. That internal, internal angst that we feel of running and hiding and simply wanting to get away from God. And maybe what if we begin to think more deeply about our, our urges to run away and to hide? What if we begin to think about it more deeply and think about the possibility that maybe we're trying to run and escape from God? Not our circumstances as much as God. And so that's the first part of Jonah's story today, the escape, right? And, and now let's talk about the storm. The storm, because Jonah has boarded the ship in Joppa. He's headed for Tarshish. He's going across the Mediterranean Sea. He's running from God. And it says that this violent storm broke out. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. You see, not only was the ship getting ready to fall apart, but Jonah's plans are also getting ready to fall apart. Everything was being disrupted for him. He finds himself not only in a physical storm, but he finds himself in a storm inside of him. Now, for the ancients that would, uh, during this time, the sea was an important thing because the sea, the ocean, it represented uh, a world that was chaotic. And so anytime the Bible and the Old Testament talks about the sea, it's often connected with chaos. And, and you factor in a violent storm and, and it becomes unmanageable and overwhelming. It's the worst kind of chaos. Uh, and so there's symbolism so deep in here. And so for me, coming from Florida and, and living most of my life in Florida, just the word storm triggers emotions and feelings from past hurricanes. For you uh, in Kentucky, you remember storms, ice storms, right, and snowstorms. And so storms conjure up uh, these things. But again, the author is using the storm symbolically to represent what was going on deep inside of Jonah. And we get this. You get this because you have faced storms in your life. Many of you have faced them. I always say that we're either going into a storm, we're in a storm, or we're coming out of a storm. And, and so we face many, especially even since the pandemic, right? The past three years, we faced so many storms. 
storms that we've never faced before, like the Great Resignation, uh, financial uh, turbulence, uh, racial injustice, uh, a mental health crisis like our nation has never seen. And, and, and many of us, we're tired and we don't know why. And we're constantly uh, facing fatigue. And all of these storms, they've created a Category 5 hurricane in many of our lives. And so it makes sense that this kind of storm that Jonah was grappling with wasn't just the external thing that was happening in the ocean. It was also the storm that was going on deep inside of him. But then something happens in the story that may, may, may not make sense to you. Like it may be a little alarming to you because it says that the Lord, that God sent the wind on the sea that actually caused the storm. Like it says that God caused the storm. And, and so trying to wrap our minds around the idea that God caused the storm, it sometimes leads us to want to like unsubscribe from God. Like we want to unfriend God because he caused the storm. But I don't know about you, but what I see time and time again when I read the scriptures and also what I've experienced personally is that it's often through the storm in our lives that God redirects us, that God shifts us, that God moves us to where he wants us to be, that he uses these storms in our lives to get our attention, right? Like sometimes God just uses these moments. And so you might have expected though, you might have expected that Jonah would have had like this spiritual awakening that when the storm came and the sailors approached him and said, why is this happening? You would think that Jonah would have this spiritual awakening uh, that should have redirected him. And, 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 but it says instead that he just goes down below and he lay down and he falls into a deep sleep. Like it didn't catch his attention. And, and in the language here, in the original Hebrew, uh, when it says sleep, it's not talking about some afternoon nap, right? Like some of you will have today. Like some of you will go, some of you might be having it right now. I don't know, I'm looking. But you know, it's not talking about like a cat nap. Uh, it's an incredibly intense sleep. It was like some spiritual catatonic state that he was in. And that is in direct contrast to what's going on above him with the sailors, right? Like they're freaking out. Jonah's in a deep sleep. He's snoring. He's, 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 uh, he's out, and the sailors, man, they are reeling. They are freaking out. They are crying out to any God that will listen for help. And they didn't know what to do. Like they're just at a point, they're like, oh, we've been on the ocean before. We've never experienced this or, or we just don't know what to do. And so they do what many people would do. They just cried out. They did what we do, right? Isn't that what we do when we're in trouble? We cry out to God for help. And yet while Jonah could have been a lifeline to these sailors because he, he works for God. He's a prophet of God. He could have been a lifeline. He could have pointed them to God, but instead he's down below, taking a sleep. And the sailors are at a loss. The Bible says they're at a loss. They're trying to figure out what to do, and they do what's common back then, that when you didn't know what to do, when you didn't know uh, what decision to make, what you would do back in the day is you would cast lots, you know, Basically, you're flipping a coin, you're rolling a dice, you're casting lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And it says they went to Jonah and they say, hey, who's responsible for this? What, what's your deal, Jonah? Like, what's going on? We cast lots, it all points to you, so what, what's, the, what's the story? 
And Jonah responds in verse 9, and he says, I'm a Hebrew, right? And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And now just stop and think about this for a minute. Think about the irony of what's happening here. Jonah is going clear across the world to get away from what God has called him to do, to go to people who didn't know God in Nineveh and to find himself in the midst. And now he finds himself in the midst of this storm and he's doing the exact same thing. He's telling people that didn't know God, that were far from God, about God. And Jonah tells them what to do in verse 12. He says, listen, pick me up. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Like Jonah's aware of what's happening. And you would think that because these sailors were probably irreligious people, they probably never went to the church. Probably they were with, many were without moral bearings at all. You would think that they would just say, toss them over, like get the plank out, let's get this done. But that's not what the Bible says. It says they tried everything they could in order to not throw him over. Like they have no investment in Jonah. They have no investment in him at all. And yet they're doing whatever they can to avoid throwing him overboard. But the storm grows more wild. And so in search of a way to calm the sea, what do they do? Well, let's look at the last part of our story. We, got, we have the escape, we have the storm, and now we have the calm. And I find it interesting that the sailors do something that Jonah himself still has not done. They pray. The sailors, these lost, irreligious people, they do what Jonah hasn't done yet, and they begin to pray to God. And here's what it says in verse 14. Then they cried out to the Lord, and they say, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. See, they're crying out in desperation. And at the heart of Christianity is us recognizing that you and I, when we come to the Lord, it's because we recognize that we're in a desperate situation and that we can't get out of it on our own, that we can't depend on ourselves to, to free us from the sin that is in our lives. And it was Jesus that said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's so true in our lives, that apart from Jesus, we can't accomplish anything, that we can't overcome our sin apart from Jesus. We can't uh, love our neighbors, more or less our enemies, apart from Jesus. We can't forgive those who have done harm to us apart from Jesus. And I think the most interesting thing about what these sailors prayed is that they referred to Jonah as an innocent man. They're like, God, forgive us for killing this innocent man. I'm like, Jonah's not innocent. Like, he is running. He is running as far as he can from God. He's the one who, by his own admission, caused this great storm. And then I thought about Jonah, and I thought about his name. And curiously, Jonah's name means dove or son of truth. And, and, and back then, you named people based on specific things. Like, it wasn't just like, oh, Richard, that's a cool name, uh, which is really not. Or, or hey, let's call, let's, call him, let's call him this because he's named them after my grandma or my grandparents. No, that you were called a name based on what your parents were speaking into you. Like, they were speaking your destiny into you. And so Jonah means dove, son of truth. And when you think of dove, what do you think of? When I think of dove, I go back to this, one of the stories in the Bible. I go back to Noah's Ark, right? 
Like dove means peace. And, uh, and so, uh, and I think of the great flood, I think about how God brought this great flood, flood as a symbol of God's judgment on a world that had escaped him. And yet, as the flood waters recede, what, is, what does Noah do when the storm had passed? Noah releases a dove out of the ark, and it returned with an olive branch in its beak. And it's a symbol that not only had the floodwaters receded, but it's a hope, right? Like that, that dove returning with the olive branch was a symbol of hope for Noah and for his family because it reminded, it told him that there's a whole new world. There's a new world that God was making and it was ready for them. And this, is, this was to be Jonah's call. Like Jonah from the very beginning was called to be a herald or, or a, a, a communicator of peace and new world, God's new world, that he was the son of truth, that he was to take the transforming word of God to the people like those that lived in Nineveh in a way that resulted in the olive branch of peace and a hope of a new world and that new day that had dawned. So from the very beginning, Jonah's mission, his destiny was to be that person that would bring the gospel or the good news and the word of hope to people who were far from God. And you see, the reality is Jonah is just running from his identity. He's running from who he was. And so Jonah was not as an innocent man by any stretch, but there was a Jonah who was innocent. And I don't know if you know this or not, but in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus actually refers to himself as a kind of greater Jonah, as, as the best version of Jonah, inviting us to draw parallels between himself and the original Jonah. And, and so we see when we compare the life of Jonah to the life of Jesus, we see that they were both prophets, right? Jonah was a prophet and so was Jesus, but Jesus was a great prophet who not only received God's word just like Jonah did, but he was actually the incarnation of that word, meaning that he wasn't just a prophet, he was God himself. He was God in flesh from up there to down here, and he received that call from God. He received the call from God to be God in flesh here on earth. But the difference between Jesus and Jonah is that Jesus never ran away from his calling like Jonah did. He didn't try and escape his call, the call on his life. Yet he had his moments, right? Jesus had his moments of agony where he even said in that, that moment, uh, the last night before he was arrested, he said, uh, he said, Father, let this, this cup pass from me. But then immediately after that, he said, but not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus and Jonah were a lot alike and that they were prophets. Another parallel that we see that while Jonah was being thrown overboard uh, into the ocean and that brought about the calm of the sea, Jesus voluntarily dove overboard into the waters of God's judgment for us so that you and I might escape that judgment and so that you and I might be wrapped in the love of the Almighty God. See, Jonah had to have someone throw him in the ocean. Jesus voluntarily, willingly dove in. And how does, how does today's story end? 
Well, when we see that the sea grew calm, what did the sailors do? Like, what did they do when the sea grew calm? And you'd think they would do what most of us would do, right? Like, like uh, they, they would, when we get in crisis, this is what we do. When we get in crisis, we call out to God for help. We say, God, help me, help me, help me. Rescue me, rescue me, rescue me. And we cry out for help. And then God shows up and he helps us with our crisis. And then oftentimes we're like, thanks, God, and we move on, right? Like, we're like, thanks, God, that was really great of you. And we move on. But that's not what the sailors did. That's not what they did. If you look at verse 16, it says, As this, the men, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. And all of this is simply code language for they got down on their knees and they unashamedly worshiped God. They're using, in the Hebrew language, they're using the covenant name of God here. Like, they're not just calling him God, they're calling him Yahweh, and, and they're, and it, which means somehow, in some way, in that moment, that the sailors entered into a relationship with God, that the moment that the sea calmed, that they surrendered their lives to God, they became faithful to God, and they gave all to God. They're not just thanking him, they're not just saying, thanks God, and moving on. They're not just saying, thanks God, and then never coming back to church again. No. They're making vows. They're making sacrifices and vows. They're saying, you know what? On this moment, on this day, on the Mediterranean Sea, when the oceans were crazy and chaotic and then they immediately calmed, they're saying that that their lives are going to be forever changed and different. They're saying this. They're making a vow and they're saying, we're not going back. We're not going back to the way we used to be. But today's a new day, and a new day has dawned, and we are new people transformed by the power and the goodness and the love of God. And their lives were forever changed. And I'm like, man, that's so beautiful. Like we jump right to Jonah jumping in the whale of a fish or the belly of a fish, and we miss this. We miss how powerful. The sea being calmed was in the lives of those sailors. That Jonah was running from God because he didn't want, he didn't want to introduce Ninevites, those wicked people, to the love of God. And what does he end up doing but introducing God to the wickedness of the sailors that were living on the ocean? And their lives were forever changed. try as we may, I think it's impossible. I believe it's impossible to run away from God and to escape him. And then I think, why would we want to? Like, why would we want to run away from God? He's not only the God who's in the midst of the storm with us, but he's the incarnation of love in the midst of the storm with us. Like God is the calm in the midst of the storm. Why would we want to run away from that? So as we begin to grasp this deep in our hearts, that the truly innocent one, Jesus, had freely dove into the waters of God's judgment on our behalf. And why? So that we might be surrounded by God's love. Because you know what? 
There's no place that God won't go. There's no mountain he won't climb. There's no door he won't kick in to show his love for you and for me. And that love, church, that love should cause us to have a desire within us to extend the olive branch of peace and hope. It should cause us to go out of our way to enter into the world of others so that they too might experience the same transformation that we've experienced. So let me just ask you this question as we wrap up. Two questions. One, have you experienced the love of God in your life? Have you experienced that transformation that those sailors experienced on that boat as the oceans calmed? And number two, are you running from God? Or are you living out the mission that every believer has to go into the world and to extend the olive branch of peace and hope and love and joy to every man and every woman and every child? Those are two really important questions. Two really important questions. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for the beginning of Jonah's story. Lord, help us not to run past it so that we can just go to the belly of the fish. But Father, help us to stop here, to pause for a minute, to ask ourselves, am I running away from God or am I running towards God? Am I working really hard not to live on mission or am I living my life on mission Father if there's someone in this room today who's never given their life to you that has never experienced what those sailors experienced on the deck of that ship Father I pray that today would be the day of surrender for them that today would be the day where they would receive your olive branch of hope peace in their lives. That they would recognize that your son Jesus came here, died on a cross, rose from the grave so that we might have life. So that's you today. If you're here, you've been running from God. Today's the day that you're going to say, Jesus, I'm stopping. I'm not running anymore. Instead of running away from you, I'm running to you. And I surrender my life to you. Just tell Jesus. Just invite him into your life. Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you transform my life? Would you make me new today? For the rest of us, we can run away from God too. Many of us run away from the mission the mission that you've called us to go into the world and 
to share the good news and make more and more and more disciples. So maybe you're here and maybe it's time for you to say, you know what, God? I've just been going through the motions. I haven't been living my life on mission. I've been running. And my life has been full of storms. And I recognize that I need you and I need to be about your business and telling others about you. So Father, thanks again for this story. Thank you for the storms in our lives that remind us of how powerful you are and how much we need you. And for reminding us how much other people need to experience that transformation too. Thanks for going to all ends to meet us and to love us. Your love, your relentless love for us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, this morning we're gonna sing a song called Relentless reckless love and uh, and it talks about Jesus going to all measures to reach us so I pray that you will sing this worshipfully and maybe as the sailors did on that deck of that ship just with all your hearts worship God if you want to come and spend time in prayer you're always welcome up here to pray maybe you want to give your life to the Lord just come and pray maybe you want someone to pray with you I'm right there on the front row I'd be honored to pray with you bring someone along with you. Maybe you want to just spend some time reflecting on, man, I have been running from God. I've been running from the mission that God has placed on my life, and I don't want to do that anymore. Whatever it is, you come and spend time in prayer, but let's stand together and with hearts full of worship for our Lord, with hearts full of love for what Jesus has done for us. Let's lift our voices to him.